0: So I'd like you all to stand, and we're going to read John chapter 1, starting in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, or the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son. Uh, from the father full of grace and truth john bore witness about him and cried out this is was he of whom i said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me verse 16 for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through moses grace and truth came through jesus christ no one has ever seen god the only god who is at the father's side he has made him known thank you you may be seated Father God, we come to you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to meet together, to sing praises, to worship you, uh, to fellowship with one another. Lord, this is just a special day every Sunday. Thank you for it. Father, I pray that you would guide my words, keep my mind and thoughts straight. Lord God, help me to be clear in speaking your word. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, as you, many of you know, the theme of our Advent season this year is, who is the babe? It is such a simple question, and most everyone here this morning can answer it correctly. In fact, I honestly believe that in, even in our secular culture, if, especially during this season, if I was to ask somebody just out, who's the babe, I would venture to say that most everybody we live around would say, oh, that's uh, the babe in the manger, that's Jesus Christ. I think that many many would be able to answer such a simple answer but an answer that leads down a path which ends in two very very fundamental questions that everyone who has ever lived must deal with Who is Jesus who is the babe in the manger and what will I do with him Who is Jesus and what what will I do with him? Every person is going to come to those two questions, especially during the Advent season when you see so much about the babe in the manger. These are the two most important questions anyone will ever answer because where they spend eternity depends on their answer. And since the Advent season is a time to set aside for Christians to reflect on the birth of Jesus Christ, the babe in the manger, I thought it would be a great time for us to reflect on those two important questions that naturally come from asking that question, who is the babe? We all need to be aware. We all need to know in our heart of hearts that the best Christmas gift you can give to anyone this season is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The best gift you can give anybody is to explain to somebody who the babe in the manger was and to ask them, so what are you going to do with this? There is no toy. There is no hobby item. There is no craft item. There is no present that we can give that is bigger than those two things. The passage we are using to reflect on these two questions, as you know, is John chapter one verses 1 through 18. And these are John's prologue to his gospel, and it summarizes in uh, those two questions. It gives a summary an answer to who is Jesus, and what are you going to do with him? We find the answers to both of those questions in this prologue. And then we find that who is Jesus question is carried out through the rest of the book. And through that book, we know from last week that the word that he uses the most in the gospel of John when referring to Jesus is he says, will you believe or do you believe or believe in him? Which answers the second question. What are you going to do with him? And what does John want everybody to do with the babe in the manger? Believe. He wants every person who reads the gospel that he wrote to believe in this, that the babe in the manger is Jesus Christ. And he uses his gospel to lay that out and to explain what that means. And I hope and pray that as we move into this Advent season and I hope it ignites our hearts and it ignites our minds and as we move through the Advent season and into the 2024 year, I pray that each of us would have that same burning desire that everybody would come to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, our Savior. I pray that none of us would just sit back and take advantage of of our salvation without being driven to tell somebody else like John was we know that John uh, wants this to happen we know that this is one of John's points because of uh, at the end of his pa- of of his gospel can you switch that please in John chapter 20 verses 30 through 31 Now Jesus did, this is John at the end of the gospel, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He sums up his whole gospel in those two verses. He says, I want you to believe. Last week we looked at verses, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and these verses very clearly begin to answer the question, who is Jesus Christ? And in just four sentences, John masterfully leads us to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is deity. And G, uh, John refers to Jesus Christ as the Word and makes three true statements that proves that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He said he is God in the flesh. The babe in the manger is God in the flesh because he is eternal. We saw that in verses 1 and 2. He is God in the flesh because of his creative power. We saw that in verse 3. And he's deity incarnate because he is self-existence, which we found in verses 4 and 5. John lays it out. The babe in the manger is God in the flesh. He is deity, full deity, not part deity, full deity, because he is God in the flesh. Now as we come to the middle portion of John's prologue, which is our passage this morning, these verses answer the question or begin us to think about answering the question, what will you do with him? I've proved that he is God now what are you going to do about it? How are you going to react to that? How are you going to respond to that, John is saying. And John develops his answer to the question what will you do with him? this way he goes there was a witness to the light the, this light shines in the darkness there was a rejection of the light and then there's acceptance of the light as we walk through verses 6 through 13 and so i do want us to walk together through this and john begins to answer what will you do with him by showing us that god sent a witness to prepare the way for jesus christ a witness to the light a witness to the light look at verses 6 through 8 There was a man sent from God. What do we know immediately? There's a man, but what? Who sent him? God did. God did. John, in this verse, we find out. This is not John, the writer of the gospel. This is referring to John the Baptist. And so God, in verse 6, he sent a man whose name was John And look at verse 7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe in through him. He was not the light, but came to be a witness of the light. In verse 6, we see the words witness and testify. They both come from the same Greek root, and they are legal terms that picture someone that is presenting evidence to a judge in a courtroom. That's the picture. John is saying, John came, God sent John to be a witness, and he is going to lay before you all this evidence like a judge, like he would to a judge. And he wants you to evaluate that evidence, he wants you to deal with that evidence. But what is the purpose of presenting the evidence to a judge? What do you expect the judge to do? What do you expect him to do? Make a choice, make a decision. And in this same legal term, he says, John came as a witness. He came to testify. He came in a legal manner to present all this evidence to you and I about who Jesus Christ is. And what is the expected result that we would make a choice, that we would make a decision one way or the other? John doesn't leave us in his writing with just, oh, that's a good story. That was never his purpose. Oh, that's pretty cool what we think Jesus or what the Bible thinks. He wants you to make a choice. What are you going to do with this? Because I have sent my witness, John the Baptist. It's really interesting to note that this witness and testify, the Greek word for this, uh, most of us know. We know it in the English language. It comes from the word martyr. This legal term is the, the Greek word that we call or that we use as martyrs, a direct transliterization. Martyr. And over history, what did this word come to mean? Those who gave witness or testified about Jesus Christ, they were what? Martyred. They were killed. In giving the evidence, in giving the witness, in giving the testimony, this word came to mean that they were killed because of the evidence or the testimony. And we need to understand that giving a testimony, giving a witness about Jesus Christ, it's going to impact our lives. And especially in today's culture, it's going to more than likely impact our lives in a way that we don't want. We may not be martyred, we may not be killed, but when we lay out why we believe Jesus Christ is the Savior, people are going to not like what we have to say. They're not going to like it. What was John a witness to? He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. In some of your translations, you'll see that the word light has a capital L. Not all translations do. And this is uh, to help those who have that capital L to understand that it is deity, it is God. And this helps us understand that the light that John is referring to is connected to what word? previously that is capitalized the word and we see that the man who sent for john whose name was sent from god whose name was john he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him he was not the light but came to bear witness about the light now jump up into verse four back up into verse four this is where john was talking about christ being deity in him christ was life and the life was the light of men and if you jump back up to verses verse one who is that light in the beginning was the what word we see the word being connected to the light by john all the way through these verses and we understand that the light is referring to whom jesus christ we understand that john was to give witness and testimony about whom jesus christ whom he identifies as the light Throughout his gospel, the apostle John develops the thing that Jesus is the light who comes into the world to push back the darkness that envelops the world. Understand something. You and I are here to continue being the light so that we push back the darkness that this world is just enveloped in. Jesus Christ came as the light. And we understand that, uh, that what John is seeing here, because if we look at in John 3, 19. John three nineteen, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does the wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. We understand that, again here, that John is saying Jesus is this light that reveals what's hidden in the darkness. In John 8, 12, we read... Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then in John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Over and over and over. And there's other passages that refer to that throughout the book of John that we didn't look at. John is saying, Jesus Christ is what? The light. The light. Jesus Christ as God incarnate is the light to the world. So, what does John have in mind when he says Jesus is the light? Well, I want to make sure that you understand right now that he's not saying that Jesus Christ was a flashlight. Jesus Christ did not cast light wherever he walked, he didn't have a halo around his head, it didn't shine. Jesus Christ was human like everybody else. So we understand immediately that when John says that Jesus Christ is the light, we're not saying that Jesus Christ was illuminated. But what do we want to know? When John refers to Jesus as the light, he means that Jesus is the spiritual light of the world. The spiritual light of the world. And this uh, metaphor sheds light on who Jesus Christ is. He's the spiritual light. And I like how Dr. Uh, Steve Lawson writes this. He says, Jesus, is a, as the light reveals, uh, reveals, He came into the world to reveal God to us. Jesus, when it says Jesus is the light, we know that He came into the world to reveal God to us. He is the embodiment of deity. If you want to know who God is, then look at Jesus Christ. If your child ever says, Mommy, Daddy, what does Jesus look like? You take him to the Bible or what does God look like? You take him to the Bible and you walk him through and show him what Jesus was like and they have a perfect picture of who God is. Jesus Christ came to reveal God to us. All the attributes of God exist in full measure in Jesus. Jesus as a light came into the world so that we would know what God looked like more fully because we look at him. Jesus As the light reveals, Dr. Lawson says, because he came into the world to expose sin. We just read about that. To expose sin. Think about that. Kathy and I went to Hawaii at 13 years for our honeymoon. We had to wait 13 years to have a honeymoon. And we walked into one of the places that we went and she flipped on the light And she'll remember this they have these big roaches and she's laughing already because and as soon as we turn on the light we see all these roaches go and she kind of went i'm not staying here but you see when jesus christ comes into the world and sheds his light mankind does the same thing they don't want to be exposed They don't want the light, and that's why we go back to that word martyr. They don't want to have their sin exposed, their their evil exposed, and they're going to stop, in one way or the other, anything that is going to reveal the darkness of their sin in their lives. So Jesus, as the light reveals, He came into the world to expose sin. We see that John comments on this in John 3, verses 19 through 20. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. John says it. When the light comes, people run from it. They don't want to be exposed to it. When mankind sees the light of Jesus Christ, they run from it just like a criminal runs from the law because they don't want to be exposed for who they are. We also, Dr. Lawson says, Jesus is a light reveals he came into the world to reveal the truth, to reveal the truth. He is the greatest revelation of God's truth the world has ever known. When we look at Jesus, we see God's truth. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 14, 6. Jesus came as a blazing light, revealing the horrors of sin, the truth of the gospel, and the grace and love and mercy of God. His light reveals that truth of heaven and hell and man's kind's need of a Savior. That's what He came, that's why He's the light. And John the Baptist came to point to us to that light. And as we read in verse 7, he is the witness of that light. Again, look at verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. And why? So that all would believe in him. History sheds some light on this a little bit. This John the Baptist showing up and being a light, being the precursor to Christ, pointing everybody to Jesus Christ, would have shocked the world around him. It would have shocked the world around him. You want to know why? Because John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet, even though he shows up in the New Testament. But there had been 400 years from the last prophet that we see recorded in the Old Testament to John the Baptist being the last prophet in the New Testament, the last Old Testament prophet. It had been 400 years since Israel had had a prophet. 400 years before anybody was pointing them anywhere for God. Because God had disciplined them and had, had disbanded the nation of Israel and left them to their own devices. We call those eight, those, that time period, what do we call that? The medieval times. 400 years without a word from God. Think about that. And then John shows up In John 1.23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. In verse 8, John makes clear that John the Baptist was not the light. He was only one of many smaller Old Testament prophets that were the light that pointed men to the coming of Jesus Christ. But then we learn and move on to verses 9 through 10. John turns his attention to the light that shines in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness. Look at verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 9, this light, as we already know, is Jesus Christ and he gives light to everyone and it's important to understand that what john does not mean by everyone the true light verse 9 which uh, which gives light to everyone some people will use that word everyone and what john is saying as to say that everyone is going to be eventually saved it's called universalism that the light will shine on everybody. And everybody is going to end up in heaven. Some, and depending on, on uh, what religious belief system you're looking at, sometimes there's a place like purgatory. They'll go and spend some time to pay off some of their debts and then they'll go to heaven. But basically the whole bottom line is that everybody they teach will end up in heaven. That's not what John is teaching here. John is not teaching that everybody will go to heaven. True here. Okay, means real or genuine as opposed to false. And John writes that Jesus uh, is the real light of truth to humanity. Not that He came to save everyone, but that He would shine the light of truth on everyone. When we look at Jesus Christ, we see truth embodied. We see truth embodied. You cannot look at Jesus Christ and His life in the Gospels. You cannot uh, read about what apostles wrote about Jesus Christ without thinking that this man is truth. Everything about him is truth. He is the embodiment of truth. Some exposed to his truth would come to salvation through faith. Others would not. Others would reject his truth and believe other, another truth devised by mankind. That is what John means when he's talking about everyone. He is going to be the revealer of truth to everyone, It is there. And if we go back to Romans, we understand that what do people who don't want to know about the truth, what do they do? They cover it. They ignore it. And we see that in the world today. Another light of truth is ever shown on earth. And Jesus Christ said in John 8, 12, he says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. Jesus said, "I am I am truth embodied. He is the one light of the world. There is no other light that can push back the darkness of this world but Jesus Christ. He is the light, the only light. He is the only light that will cause sin and darkness and evil to scurry out of its way. What does the true light of Jesus reveal? The truth of mankind's need. The light, the true light, reveals what mankind needs. And we look at John 14, 6 again. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth. There's the word truth. And the life, no one comes to me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, we see, I am the way. I am the truth. The light of Jesus Christ reveals that everybody needs a Savior. Everybody needs to know who Jesus Christ. Everybody needs to believe in Jesus Christ. In the first part of verse 10, we read, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He was in the world. We read that Jesus came into the world, which means that He was in another world, amen? He didn't, and he didn't start on this earth. We go back to what we read in, in the beginning of, uh, of, of John chapter 1, that he was pre-existent. He was there before time began. And he came from heaven and he stepped down into this world, the world that he created. Think about that. Grasp that. Jesus Christ was in heaven. Jesus Christ was eternally in heaven. And Jesus Christ took on flesh and stepped down into our world to be with us, to be the light, to be the truth, so that we would know and we would have the opportunity to believe in Him. And this needs to, this needs to impact us. He stepped into this world for us so that we would see the true light. And if you go to the last part of verse 10, we begin to see the rejection of the light. The rejection of the light. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Think. Sometimes we read through passages of Scripture that that we're familiar with and we just don't grasp what they say. The Creator came into His creation and His creation didn't even recognize Him. Think about that. The Creator of our reality, the Creator of our loved ones, our grandchildren, the creator of the sunsets and the sunrises, the creator of the grasslands and the beasts of the field and the fish of the sea, he stepped into creation and his creation did not even recognize him. We don't know you. Jesus was the fullest revelation of God the world had ever been exposed to and they were so blinded by the darkness of sin that they didn't even recognize the one who created them. The world didn't recognize Him because they were living in a state of total blindness to the truth. No matter how brilliant the light was, no matter how bright the light of truth shines, mankind in His natural state is incapable of seeing the light of Jesus Christ no matter how brilliant it shines. It shines. These verses speak so clearly to a doctrine that we really don't like to study, and that is the doctrine of depravity. The doctrine of depravity teaches that sin has so affected the human race that no one is capable of comprehending spiritual things, period. We are dead to spiritual things. All mankind is so spiritually dead that they cannot even recognize the one who created them Even in his brilliance, when he stands before them as Jesus Christ, Messiah, God in the flesh, and they go, "Who are you? We don't know you." That is how dark the depravity of sin is. And he says that in verse ten. He says, "The world." He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. But look at verse eleven. Uh, Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Okay, so the world didn't recognize him, but his own people, his called out people, the nation of Israel, who he presented himself to first, did not know him the people who had studied the scriptures, the people who were looking for a Messiah, the people who had all the indicators that this Messiah was coming, this babe in the manger was going to come, and they did not know Him when He showed up. I think this is one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. Jesus went to His own people, but as a whole they rejected Him. Can you imagine that? They refused to accept Him. Even those in the world who should have recognized Him because of the Old Testament Scriptures were blind. How blind can blind be? Even if Jesus was to come to earth today, His own people would still reject Him because they are still so enveloped in darkness. And I was trying to figure out how to get us to understand this, and the only thing I could come up with was this. Put yourself in the place of a daughter, a college-age daughter, who's been away to college overseas for four years. And she comes home to surprise her mother. Her mother hasn't seen her in four years, didn't have the means to come and visit her. And so she shows up one Christmas at the end of her college. And she knocks on the door. What's the daughter thinking right then? What's she going through right then? I'm going to see my mom. I'm going to surprise her. Right? And the door opens. And the mother says, may I help you? Is there something I can do for you? Mom, I'm sorry, I'm not your mom. I don't know you. What would that be like to a daughter? see her own mom open the door after not seeing her for four years and say, may I help you? I don't know you. But on an infinite level, Jesus Christ presents himself to his own people and he's here in his godhood, in his perfect humanity. And they go, we don't know you. Who are you? Such a sad verse. Such a sad verse. Those who should have rejoiced and accepted their Messiah, their Creator with open arms, shut the door because they didn't know Him. And we must realize, and this just needs to weigh on us, we must realize it is only when God gives the eyes to see that anyone can see the light of Jesus Christ. Sometimes you will hear somebody say, if I could only see Jesus, if I could only watch him walk on water, if I could see his miracles, if I could watch him raise Lazarus from the dead, I would believe. No they wouldn't. No they wouldn't. Because the people who should have known him, who should have understood who he was when they saw his miracles, they didn't know him. They didn't accept him. They didn't recognize him. And the, we would not be any better today. Sometimes we think we're more advanced than the first advanced than the first century folk. we're not we wouldn't accept him anymore because he would do those things than they did back in the first century until god opens the eyes to see no one can see the light of jesus christ no matter how bright it shines and again i was thinking of my grandson josh who all of you i think know is blind and he can look at the noonday sun and he sees nothing but darkness. It doesn't make any difference how bright the sun is. My grandson is not going to see anything but darkness. And that is where we as natural human beings are when it comes to seeing who Jesus Christ is. We will not recognize his light because we are so involved in our own sin and darkness. Let me ask you this. Do you remember the day when your eyes were opened to the light of the truth of Jesus Christ? When you saw that sunrise, you saw that light for the first time. Do you remember when your eyes saw the light? Don't ever stop praising God for that day. Don't ever stop praising God for that day. Don't ever forget it was God who opened your eyes. It was a work of God's grace in your life that you could see anything when it comes to the light of Jesus Christ. The world has rejected Jesus Christ. His own people have rejected Jesus Christ. And so many people we know that come into our lives have rejected Jesus Christ, the one true light, and they live in darkness with no access to the Father. Praise God that he did not stop at verse 11. Praise God he didn't stop at verse 11 because verses 12 and 13 bring so much hope and they are a wonderful conclusion to this, section of John's pro, to this section of John's prologue. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Even though there is darkness, even though there is so much blindness because of sin, there is going to be a reception of the light or an acceptance of the light. There will be an acceptance of of the light although most will reject it although most will reject the truth there will be some who will believe because they see jesus as the way the truth and the light and again i'm going to refer back to dr Lawson. and he put it this day he just a comment on this he said there would be 11 of the 12 disciples who would believe there would be nicodemus There would be mary martha and lazarus there would be the samaritan woman and there would be the blind men they all saw the light and so many of us in this room today have seen the light we've understood the truth of who jesus christ is throughout history there will be many many more who would accept the light of truth that jesus christ came to save them from the darkness of their sin And John wants us to grasp this. He wants us to understand this thing that we know of as salvation. And he's going to lay out uh, two things in these two verses. They're one coin with two separate sides. And it challenges us and it humbles us. In verse 12, he's going to lay out this human thing side the human perception of salvation and in verse 13 he lays out the divine side the divine perception of salvation in verse 12 he is going to uh show us conversion in verse 13 he's going to show us regeneration and as i said these two verses are the two two sides of the same coin so look at verse 12 and this is looking at salvation from the human perspective but to all who did receive him. To all who did receive him. Some of your translations say, or as many as received him, and that means no more and no less. And the idea here, received, is a synonym for saving faith. Received here, this Greek word paints a picture of someone who is standing outside your home, who has been invited in to, to, to build a relationship with you. They become a guest whom you desire to have a close relationship. That's what it means to receive when he says, but all who did receive him. This receiving, this saving faith is pictured as Jesus being invited in with open arms ready to embrace him, drawing him near so that he could be Savior and not just Savior, but Lord and Master of your entire life. That's what it means when we say we receive him. And then he says, but to those who did receive him, who believed in his name. John makes sure we know what it means to receive Jesus into our lives. It means that we believe in Jesus. That's what it means. When we receive Jesus into our lives, we believe in in Jesus' name. And in the first century, it's not so much today, but in the first century, names meant something okay names pointed at who you are they pointed to your character they pointed to who you were as a being as a, a human existence that was your name and so when we see that we do believe in the name of jesus christ we're saying that we believe in everything that he is everything we believe in his character we believe in his deity we believe in his humanity we believe that he is god incarnate in the flesh When we believe in His name and we receive Him. Without that belief, there is no salvation. We cannot believe in just part of who Jesus Christ is. We can't just believe in His humanity and go on from there. We can't just believe in His deity and go on from there. Those are heresies that have been dealt with all through church history. When we say that we receive Him by believing in His name it means we believe in who He is and we open our arms and we say please come into my life as who you are the entirety of who you are my Lord, my Savior, my Master, my God you come into my life because it now belongs to you. That's what it means to receive and to believe. Those who believe Verse 12 says, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. <clears throat> John is clear. No one born into this world is automatically a child of God. Period. Put that away. Because human beings were created by God does not make them his children. They make, that makes them his creation. We find throughout Scripture that there are only two families in this world. The family of believers and the family of unbelievers. The family of believers is the family of God. The family of unbelievers is the family of Satan. There is no middle ground. There is no grayness. There is no other way. You believe to one of those two families. Everyone, every single person who is born is born into the family of Satan. When we take our first breath, born on this planet, we belong to the family of Satan. Everybody, even the small kids we have in here. They were born into the family of Satan. Christ, as their Savior, is the only one who can remove them from the family of Satan and put them into the family of God. And that's what he's saying here. To those who believe in his name, believe in everything that he was, he gave them the right gave them the privilege to become children of God the right that right there means all the benefits of all the privileges of we are adopted and we have our a legal part of the family we have everything that Jesus has with God we have the inheritance We have heaven, we have eternal life, all because we were adopted, because we belong to the family of God, because of our belief in Jesus Christ. Only those who have their eyes open to see the light of Christ can become children of God, children of God who inherit through Jesus Christ all the rights and privileges of being God's child. And then John continues in verse 13, who are born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God born here refers to a new birth being born again and he's referring to spiritual birth that comes when the holy spirit from the holy spirit when that person believes and receives jesus christ as their savior and now john is very very clearly moving to a whole different perspective verse 12 was the human perspective on salvation all those who believe all those who receive And now he's going to flip that coin around. And he's going to show us salvation from deity perspective, from God's perspective. He's going to show us how we came to believe in Jesus Christ when the whole world is rejecting him. When everyone else is rejecting him, have you ever asked yourself, why didn't you? Have you ever asked that? Since the majority of the world lives in darkness and runs from the light and tries to hide from the light, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. They don't want His truth. They will not want His light. They don't want His salvation. They run from Him. Why didn't you? Why didn't you? What made the difference in your life compared to all those who have not received Him? Now, John is going to reveal the answer to that. He is going to reveal to us in verse 13 how you and I came to be able to receive Jesus, the workings of God in our dead spiritual hearts that had to open our eyes. And he does this by stating three negative denials and one positive assertion about how our hearts came to the point where we could receive and believe in Jesus Christ. He's going to say some things had to change before our eyes would ever open. He's going to list this right now. So this is how you came to be able to receive Jesus Christ. First, the first negative. Who were born, spiritually reborn, not of blood. Not of blood. What does he mean by that? Not of blood. You were not able to be born again because of your bloodline, because of your family heritage or your ethnic background. That's what he's saying. It was an assumption in that day and age by the Jews that they were God's chosen people. They had the heritage, they had the lineage, they had the bloodline to become God's people. And they took it, they assumed that because we are Jews, we have an automatic pass to heaven. No matter how we live, no matter what we believe, whether we accept Jesus or not, because we are Jews, we can get to heaven. And John shuts that down in a minute. He says, not of blood he says you were not able to receive jesus christ your eyes were not open to the light because of anything in your family background your ethnicity because it does it doesn't make any difference if you went to church your whole life it doesn't make any difference what church you went to through your whole life it doesn't make any difference what your grandma believed or your grandpa believed or your great grandma believed you did not come to know jesus christ because of your heritage or anybody in your family period that's what he's saying takes it off the table. And I'm going to tell you something. When you take that off the table, there are so many people who sit in church every day who are swept off that table when God takes that off that table. Because they are cultural Christians or they're traditional Christians because I grew up in church and this is what we do, but they've never ever met Jesus Christ and received Jesus Christ. They've never had their eyes opened to their own sin. And John says, it is not by blood that you are able to see the light. It is not by blood that you are able to receive and believe in Jesus Christ. John says, nope, not true. It's not of blood. The second negative we see, who were born not of the blood nor of the will of the flesh. John is saying you cannot be born again saved through any of your own fleshly efforts all your fleshly strivings for good works your personal morality your religious routines and disciplines of reading the bible praying these things cannot cause you to be born again period not of the flesh no matter how good you think you are that's off the table the bible is clear about this we see in ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 For by grace you have been saved through faith. Listen to this. This is not of your own doing. This is the idea here. Not of the flesh. It is the gift of God, not of a result of works. So that no one can boast. No one will stand in heaven and say, I made it because I made a choice. I made a decision. It's not going to happen. He said... You cannot receive, John says, Jesus Christ as your Savior because of your heritage. You cannot receive Jesus Christ and understand that He is the the light and you cannot believe in Him on any fleshly work you can do. You cannot be good enough for Jesus Christ, for God to even notice. Notice because salvation is not from the flesh then he has a third negative you were not who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh nor the will of man the exercise of your faith in christ did not originate within yourself the exercise of your faith in christ did not originate in yourself It did not come within you because you had a little part of the light. It did not originate because your heart was a little bit alive. Yes, coming to Jesus Christ was exercised by you. It was exercised by you, but it did not come from you. In other words, you had no saving faith. You had no ability on your own to believe in Jesus Christ because, as Ephesians said, you were spiritually dead. You had no ability to receive and believe Jesus Christ on your own at any measure. That's what he means by not the will of man. That's what he's saying. There was not a little bit of spiritual life left in you that allowed you to exercise your own will to believe in Jesus Christ and be born again. And this is so humbling to us because we want to have a part in our salvation. Yes, we exercised the process to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. But it did not come from within us. It was not generated by anything within us. Let me ask it this way. What can a dead man do for himself? What can a dead man do for himself? Absolutely nothing. And if that dead man's going to come back to life at any time because of a heart attack or because of something happening, they need somebody on the outside to do what? Something. They need to. And now we see the positive assertion. He says, you cannot do it because of your bloodline. You cannot do it because of your works. You cannot do it because of something that you willed from the inside because something in you moved you that way on your own without help. But listen to what he says at the very end. Who were born, who were given new birth, who were saved, not of blood, nor of the will of God, nor the will of man, but, what's he say? But of John is very clear, the new birth was, was and is caused by God. It was and is caused by the divine will of God, by the work of God alone. In no way was it a joint project between you and God to be saved. And so many people think it was. It is not a joint project, your salvation. It is all of God, is what John is saying. It is only of God. It is not by blood. It is not by fleshly works. It is not by your own will. He says, it is only of God. And it's because of this work of God, because it is only His, that is why we will cast all of our crowns before Him. We are going to have rewards when we get to heaven because of our sanctification and our uh, desire to live and to grow and and because we're trying to obey Him. But as soon as we get to heaven and we receive our rewards, we are going to go to Jesus Christ and we're going to lay Him at His feet. We're going to lay Him at, at our Savior's feet, deity, God in the flesh, because we know that without Jesus Christ, without Him doing a work in our hearts before we ever recognized who He was, we wouldn't be in heaven. We wouldn't be in heaven. The result of God's work is that we believe in Jesus Christ. He's the one that starts it. He's the one that gives us spiritual life. He's the one who raises a spiritually dead heart to life. And then, and only then, can we look at that and say, now I believe in Jesus Christ. Now I understand. Now I see the life. And Jesus Christ, I need you in my life now. I exercise what I come to realize because God made my spiritually dead heart alive. The result of God's work is that we are given the eyes to see the brilliance of who Jesus is, what He has done for us in dying on the cross, who we are as depraved sinners, and that we need a place—we need to place our faith in Him through belief in who He is. The result of God's work is that we were, are made spiritually alive, and now we are new creatures in Christ. And now, when we open our eyes, we see the brilliance. of of our savior we see the brilliance and the wisdom of the babe in the manger and we look at god and we say amen thank you for opening my eyes because without a spiritually alive heart i would have never seen this that's what he's saying that's what john is pointing at john the baptist was a witness to the light that was coming into the world jesus was and is that light he is god in the flesh come as babe in the manger and now we come right back to the two questions we asked earlier who is jesus christ we already know he is god in the flesh deity he's the light he's the truth we understand that but we also need to ask the other question of what will you do with jesus christ what will you do with jesus christ If you think that you have already done something with Jesus Christ, if you think that God has already opened your eyes and you can see who Jesus Christ is, don't just bypass the question. The Bible tells us repeatedly to examine ourselves to make sure we're in the faith. Examine ourselves. What will you do? Will you reject him as most of the world has done throughout history and as even his own people did? Or will you accept him by faith as your Savior because he is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the babe in the manger, our Savior, our God, our Lord. So what are you going to do with him? if you've accepted jesus christ and your savior and you know that you have seen the brilliance of jesus christ you understand who he is then right now is a time especially during this season but even right now we our eyes have been illuminated to some really great theological truth it is we our hearts need to be boiling over in praise and rejoicing when we can say that i what i have done with jesus christ is accept him as my savior i believe in him i have received him This We need to walk out on cloud nine going out these doors. Because we didn't deserve it. And we have a chance now in the next week, the Christmas holiday, to celebrate. We get to celebrate our Savior for the next number of days to focus on Him, to listen to Christmas songs that point us to Him, to read His Word, to be in church, to share family and friends and to share the gospel with each other we get a chance for the next few days a holiday to rejoice in our savior and please don't let that be laid aside because we are so busy doing other things it is jesus christ as the old thing saying goes who is the reason for the season and let us not lay that aside because it's just old stuff If you're not sure that you've really seen Jesus in this light, that you believe in everything that He is, and your heart is maybe heavy or your heart seems pricked, praise God, because that means that God is working in your heart, that He's opening your eyes and beginning that process where you can see who his savior is and i would plead with you i would ask of you if you're not sure where you're at with christ if you're not sure that you've come to see the light of who jesus christ is the brilliance of who jesus christ is don't fool yourself don't kid yourself say well hey i've been in church all my life that doesn't make a difference it's only if you have seen jesus christ and he is now your lord and savior and master and he controls your life if you are coming to that place, if maybe God is working in your heart, please, again, I plead with you, don't leave without talking to me. I will take as long as it needs to help you walk through who Jesus Christ is. Because it is the most important decision you will ever see. And Father God, we come to you as we reflect on your word, as we reflect on who your son is, when we reflect on the brilliance of what he has done for us and taken us out of the depravity of our sin and has helped us see that we needed him. Father, we praise your name for that. Lord God, thank you for opening our eyes. Thank you for creating a new heart within us, a a heart that is spiritually alive, a heart that can respond to the gospel, can respond to the brilliance of the truth of Jesus Christ. Father, we commit to you our lives and we ask that as we walk this week that we would be true lights of Christ. That we would share the gospel, the greatest present that anybody could receive this holiday season. Father, I pray that for some of us, I pray for all of us, That we, in some way, would see somebody come to Christ and to understand that they have received the greatest gift that has ever been given. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen.